Welcome to Nurture Small Business, creating a thriving space with your host, Denise Kagan. Denise is the president of DCA Virtual Business Support and has been a business owner for almost 20 years. DCA Virtual Business Support provides small businesses with an expert pairing of virtual administrative and marketing assistance to match your needs. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. Charles Reed is a certified public accountant, U.S. tax court practitioner, member of the Internal Revenue Service Advisory Council, and the founder of Get Payroll. He has over 30 years of online payroll and payroll tax compliance services in the businesses he has owned, including Get Payroll. Charles is an accomplished senior executive and entrepreneur with more than 50 years of financial leadership experience in a broad range of industries. He's also an author of four books, the latest one being The Payroll Guide, A Guide for Small Businesses and Startups. Charles, welcome to the show. My pleasure to be here, Denise. Thanks for having me. You are quite welcome. So when we talked earlier, you had told me you're a veteran. Tell me about your time. Marine Corps, right? Marine Corps. Well, I graduated from high school, worked for a few months, uh, didn't want to go to college at that point. And uh, joined the United States Marine Corps. I was still 17, so my parents signed for me. I did my basic at Marine Corps Recruit Depot San Diego, so I'm a Hollywood Marine. Pendleton, then Okinawa, Mm -hmm. then Mm -hmm. Vietnam, where I got transferred to a uh, local combat uh, company and uh, served six months in Vietnam, then came back and I was stationed in Kansas City. While in the Marine Corps, I was trained as a computer programmer and systems engineer by IBM. And so how did you get into the world of tax compliance? Well, when I got out of service, this was 1971, I was an experienced computer programmer and systems engineer, uh, COBOL, and that was the big thing at the time. I interviewed with a lot of businesses, and they just didn't think that my military experience applied to the business world, which was wrong, but they were doing it then and they're doing it now. They if they've never been in the military, they don't understand the value of military experience, pure and simple. Yeah, I work for a military nonprofit, and that is one of the struggles is job placement because the transferable skills don't align with what the civilian world thinks they are. They align very well. Plus, you have the discipline and the experience and the sense of mission and the self-discipline, all those things necessary to make you successful, and they don't see it. And it's it's their loss. It's our problem, but it's their loss. So uh, when they wouldn't do that, I said, well, okay, I'll go to school and get my credentials. So they'll look at me. And I went and got my bachelor's and my master's, passed my CPA exam while I was still in graduate school. I liked accounting and I took a lot of it in college. So I meshed that with my computer experience and went to work for Texas Instruments and spent 15 years working for various corporations, small and large, realized at the end of 15 years that I was never going to run a major corporation working for them. I didn't have the political skills. I was unwilling to stab people in the back and toss them off the ladder. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I was going to have a business like my parents did, I was going to have to start my own. So 30 years ago, Ruth and I, my wife, started our own business. It was a mobile accounting service along with payroll. Here about 10 years ago, I sold off the accounting to my partner, who we picked up along the way, mm-hmm. and I've kept running the payroll business. Ruth passed six years ago, so it's just me now. 
That is a long history because you started, you have entrepreneurship in your blood. I mean, your parents ran a business. What kind of business was that? My father was an insurance consultant and he and my mother worked very closely together. And I grew up with my parents working together. I thought it was natural. Working with your spouse is not natural. (laughs) As I learned the hard way. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people struggle with that. We've actually done podcasts about couplepreneurs and boundaries within those relationships. But bless you for for having done that. And and I'm sorry to hear about Ruth passing, but we're going to talk a little bit more about the things that you've built. And that is Get Payroll, as well as the new book that's come out. So let's start with the new book. Well, the new book, the payroll book, a guide for small business and startups. It's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles. It's Basically, 30 years of experience distilled down to 95,000 words. So I said 50 years in my intro. I apologize. No, no, no. I've been working for 50 years, but I've owned the business for 30. So I've actually been working longer than that. My first job was selling candy to uh, uh, pay for summer camp when I was six years old. So that goes back 66 years now. (laughs) So I've been around. No Been around the block. So, you know, one of the other things with your compliance role and in your book for startups, you talk about penalties and tax penalties. What do entrepreneurs need to be aware of with tax penalties? Well, first of all, in fiscal 19, the IRS issued $13 billion in employment tax penalties. More than half of them got abated, got reversed by people like me. But if you get a penalty, and you will if you stay in business long. It doesn't mean you owe the money. It just means they think you do. And the IRS makes millions of mistakes every year, egregious mistakes, and you've got to be able to fix them or know somebody, me, who can, because there's a lot of things you can do not to get the penalties. And there's a lot of things you can do to reverse them if you get hit with one, particularly if it's a mistake. But if you don't know what to do in the book, walks you through what to do, Mm -hmm. uh, you're lost. Absolutely. We've actually had clients that have reached out to us and, you know, my advice is always go to who prepared your taxes. Okay. And again, there's professionals like you as well, but that would, that's my first line of advice because we got a tax penalty this year. They said we filed like we didn't. (laughs) And that's what we, that's see, that's our unique selling proposition is get payroll is we're compliance experts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a CPA, a member of the U.S. IRS Advisory Council, which means I've met everybody up there. I've met the commissioner, had lunch with him several times in the last few years, met with all the commissioners of the various business entities, their assistants, know them, know people up there, and it allows us to do things our competitors don't. Plus, I'm a U.S. tax court practitioner, which means a U.S. tax court practitioner is a non-attorney who is licensed to practice as a counselor, as an attorney in the U.S. tax court. I have a bar card from the U.S. tax court, so I can represent my clients in U.S. tax court, even though I'm not an attorney and I don't charge attorney's fees. So That's good. <laughs> uh, it allows us to do things for our clients. Mm-hmm. The cost to file a petition in the U.S. tax court is $60. It gets you a whole nother bite at the apple. It restarts everything, gets it all looked at by different people. So in many cases, that's all it takes to fix it. 95% of all U.S. tax court cases get settled before going to court, and many of them for $0. So So those are things we can do. 
yeah, give me an example of like ta- sure. penalties that you've actually seen occur and how you worked through that process to get let them me, abated. Let me give you a couple. We had a client who'd come to us late in the year to do payroll and their previous payroll processor, you know, I really shouldn't refer to them, but their initials are ADP. <laughs> uh, also sent in a W-2 for the year and we sent in the correct one. Well, three years later, the IRS says, you have all this extra income you didn't report and you owe us all these taxes. And after a year, his previous payroll company wouldn't fix it. They wouldn't send in a correction and zero it out. So it got real nasty and they were threatening to seize his bank account. So I filed a petition with tax court, sent them all the information, it went to the district council, docketed appeals. He looked at that and sent me a letter and said, never mind, everything's fine. <laughs> now, but another one, and this is where the IRS advisory that, council That seems so in. easy, though. Well, it, it is if you know what to do. Right. We had another one. It, was, it took nine years to solve. It was a $95,000 penalty. Yikes. And we worked it up through the various levels of appeals to the field office. And then we went to the, the guy who's over a numerous field offices and he wouldn't return my calls. So after a year, I called the deputy chief of appeals in DC and said, Shelly, uh, this guy won't return my phone calls. And she said, I'm Charles, I haven't called you. He called me that afternoon. We went through the whole situation. He took the case and had it assigned to another appeals office. They looked at it. And three months later, my client got a $400 refund check and voided the $95,000 penalty. Wow, I'll take that any day. <laughs> uh, sort of my client. In fact, my, my client's attorney says, if I ever have this again, I'm calling you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What's the so most those, those common- are things we can do. Yeah, what's the most common penalties that you see for small businesses? The most common penalty is arithmetic errors. Okay. So how, simple. how do we avoid them? Get better CPAs? <laughs> I mean- you, well, this is people who do their own payroll. Oh, use yeah, a computer, okay, I don't guys. do that. <laughs> you, you, you use, a, use a computer, use software, because then if it's a mistake in the software and they calculate it wrong, you can bitch to the software company and maybe get paid back. <laughs> but it's people just adding numbers wrong or multiplying them wrong. They go to you know 6.2% for the FICA times $423,622.37, and, and they screw up. That's mm-hmm. the most common. The next thing is they don't file timely. They don't deposit timely. And this is where a payroll service bureau comes in. We do all those for our clients and guarantee it. And if we screw up, and I'm not saying we're perfect, we pay the penalty. That's our business. It's outsourcing. It just saves you time, trouble, energy, effort, and money. Yes, I agree. And I highly recommend outsourcing, you know, anything that's a compliance related item and, you know, I've done my own payroll in my company when it was very, very small. And it was a pain in the butt. <laughs> it really was because you do have to remember all those filing deadlines. And then when your company grows, and in my case, being remote and virtual, having people in different locations, now you've got different states you have to file for. And that is absolutely something I wasn't going to do. Right. And many states are now requiring it to be electronic and electronic deposits and mm-hmm. on and on and on. And if you don't have the software and the systems and the calendars in place, it's real easy. And the states aren't very good. We had the state of Mississippi send a letter to a client saying, you owe all this money for uh, uh, state unemployment taxes. 
And they sent it to us, of course, upset. And we looked at it and we looked at our report and no, every, every check was sent. Every check was cashed. And, you know, we had all the proof. So we talked to the state of Mississippi. Turns out that four or five of them had been uh, just put into suspense because they didn't, they said they didn't know where it went. A couple had been <laughs> applied to the wrong account, but on each and every check, not on the stub, on the check, it listed the client, their account number, and the period it was for. And they still misapplied it. So sometimes you can do everything right and it still isn't enough. Yeah, there's there there are a few states that are, ah. for better lack of words, very unorganized. They just don't have the infrastructure in place to process things properly. And I think it's getting worse, not better, because as everybody's working remote, they don't have the facilities in front of them. They don't have the files in front of them. They don't have all these other things that they're used to having and mistakes have proliferated. Absolutely. So let's, let's kind of roll into classification errors. Sure. Lots of businesses, you know, do I count them as a contractor or do I count them as an employee? Talk to me a little bit about that and how to stay out of trouble from misclassifying. Well, the, the typical entrepreneur says, you know, I'll just write you a check. Okay. $20 an hour, 20 hours, here's $400. We're just going to pay everybody as independent contractors. We're, we're not going to have any employees. As an entrepreneur, you don't get to make that choice. And neither does the guy working for you. There's a whole body of law concerning that. Now, the labor department says 75% of all U.S. businesses misclassify employees, and they do. And it can be very expensive when you get caught at misclassifying them by the state or by the federal government. So if you're not sure and you don't understand, and I go through it in great detail in the book of what makes an independent contractor and what makes an employee, and the rules change. Mm -hmm. There was a rule that had gone through in the Trump administration was supposed to go into effect uh, in March of this year. And two days before it was going to effect, the Biden administration canceled it and said they're going to issue their own. It's different. So it's not always a fixed target. Uh, the law changes constantly. That's one of the, I get five newsletters a week from the Internal Revenue Service on different aspects of tax law changes that are going on. You know, this is what Congress sells as tax breaks. That's how they get reelected. That's how they get campaign contributions is they sell tax breaks to their, their constituents. I know so that's are, a little. <laughs> so what are some cynical, of the, but <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's okay. What are the, some of the consistent things that business owners need to know when deciding whether to pay as a contractor or employee? Just, you know, I know I realize there's some that change, but what are some, some of the ones over time that have not changed? Well, there's 20 common law rules, but it comes down to control and financial aspects and permanency. Uh, if you tell them what to do, when to do it, how to do it, they're probably an employee. If they can substitute somebody else to do the work, for instance, if you come to me to do the taxes, do your taxes, and I have Sally over here do them, then I look at them and sign my name to them. That's my business. I'm still responsible, but she did the work. Now, if I can do that, I'm probably an independent contractor. If I offer my services to the general public, I'm probably an independent contractor. 
if I have to have special training that I undertake and or licenses like a plumber or a doctor, I'm probably an independent contractor. But if you tell me I've got to be at my desk at eight o'clock and I get off at five and have a half hour off for lunch and I'm there Monday through Friday and this is what I do and this is where I pick up the work and this is where I do it and this is how I do it and this is where I put it when I'm done, they're an employee. So if you've got a coder that's in your office and he's working 40 hours a week and you're telling him what to work on and how to do it and he has to do the work, he's probably an employee, not an independent contractor that he says he is. Yeah, definitely agree. My team, early on starting up, we started out as contractors. We had a lot more flexibility in scheduling then as well. So I, I believe legitimately we were, but we were starting to get to that cusp where, and eh, not sure you are anymore, you know, had to do with insurance and uh, creating procedures and standardizing things in the company as we grew. And so we just switched everybody over to employees. It's safer to have them as employees. And frankly, it's no more ex- no more expensive in reality, because if you're paying the same rate of pay to a contractor that you are to an employee, the employee is costing you more, but you're cheating the contractor because you are paying the employee more. So when it comes down to fair fair, yeah, there's more paperwork. I mean, there might be small differences, but for us, it was totally worth it. Yeah, um, we have a lot more control over what they do. And that's really where we were going as the business began to grow. And it builds loyalty. Mm -hmm. It builds permanence. These are people you want to have here next week, next month, next year. As a contractor, somebody comes along and offers them 50 bucks an hour instead of 25, they're gone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as an employee, they tend to be more loyal. They'll do more things. Oh, yeah, I know you're a computer coder, but can you come over and work this camera for me for an hour? Well, yeah, sure. Boss, be glad to. Well, as an independent contractor, you may go, ah, no, no. Absolutely. You do. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. Nope. So so before we wrap things up with Get Payroll, what's the number one benefit that you're seeing people that our companies are asking for? And has that changed based on the pandemic? Well, the benefits for employees, of course, you know, insurance and and permanency, vacation and so on. But what's changed with the COVID is people want to work from home. And there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of people saying, you know, I've been doing this for a year. Now you tell me I got to come back to the office. Oh, wait a minute. I've been successfully doing this for a year and you've been happy. And I much prefer to work at home rather than, uh, you know, under your thumb all day long. So that's becoming a big benefit and it causes substantial dislocations with the employee and the employer because managing them and tracking their time and critiquing them and helping them and training them all become much more difficult for remote employees, as you well know. So yeah, I've been doing it for years though. (laughs) I understand. And some of us have been, but now it's becoming much more mainstream. And uh, I kind of feel for the commercial landlords because there's going to be a lot of office space that's not going to get renewed. Yeah, I believe I believe that's correct as well. So Charles, how can we find your book? The book is available at thepayrollbook.com. And if they will go there and they will enter the discount code podcast, we'll okay. give them a free book. We'll pay for the shipping and handling. 
if they're if they're interested enough in the book that they want to look at it, then they're probably a potential client. So we'd love to give them a book. Okay. Okay. So for your listeners, discount at theperilbook.com, discount code podcast, we'll send them a free book. If they want to see me, CJR at getpayroll.com is my email. They're welcome to email me or call me at 972-353-0000. I love to talk to people and solve problems. So the more the merrier. And it sounds like you're fantastic at it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So Charles, before we close off, is there anything else that you'd like to add for our audience? You know, be careful what you do. Uh, Check your arithmetic, make sure you do everything on time. And, And the book will tell you, the things that you don't know that you need to know. Perfect. Charles, pleasure having you on here today. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Denise, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for today's Nurture Small Business, Creating a Thriving Space podcast. Learn more about your host at dcavirtual.com or by emailing her directly at denise at dcavirtual.com.